Hey y'all, I'm C.G. Townsend, your host of the Being Balanced Podcast, a space full of ways to help you stop the glorification of busyness. We're talking aha moments, must-have resources, real-life wins, and small shifts that lead to incredible impact. Hey there, welcome back to the Being Balanced Podcast. I recently had the privilege and the honor of sitting down with Alka Joshi. She's the author of The Henna Artist, one of the books that I loved reading this year. I often tell you guys that reading is one of the ways that I practice self-care. There's just something really magical about sitting down with a good book and just turning those pages and investing that time in myself. So I was so excited to sit down and talk with Alka and learn more about her vision, what was going on in her head, how she defines balance when she's writing, and just the life of an author. It was really, really an awesome conversation. So awesome that we jumped right on in, no introductions, and we just got straight to it. So I'm so excited for you guys to hear more. One thing that I've loved the most about the podcast conversations is that it's a bunch of different people in a bunch of different places in their lives that are sharing, you know, really, really good tips and things like even you mentioning your, how you relax, you know, like people want to know that because we find ourselves in a rut and we don't know what to do and, you know, we can be inspired by other people. So that's what I, that's what, that's how I got here. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And um, I'm in a, I'm in a bunch of book clubs, actually. I love to read. Reading is like self-care for me. And I just, I read fiction, nonfiction, self-help books, really whatever I can get my hands on. And um, yeah, and I'm in a a bunch of different book clubs. And one of them is a work book club. Um, And when we were in the office before COVID happened, uh, we would meet once a month for lunch and we, we have a phenomenal leader. She always picks the best books. We just trust whatever she tells us to read. And um, we shifted to virtual when we left the office to work from home. And she suggested the henna heart artist. She, let me tell you, she always knows the best books to read. <laughs> wow. and, um, and so we read it as a group. I always share what I'm reading with people because they're always looking for a good book. So I was so excited when you replied. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. Um, Yeah. So, so it was so great because I was like, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, read, just read. It's so good because especially when you're reading fiction, it takes you out of your real world. You know, it's like you can transport yourself into another story and I, I think that that's why I read so fast. Like I can't put books down because I just, I'm on the edge of my seat waiting. And to me, it's a lot like binging television shows. Yeah. You know, you yeah. want to, yeah. you just, you want to stay with it and you can't let it go. So, so yeah, so that's. Yeah. When you, when you have something that you're reading and uh, you know, you think, okay, tonight I'm going to read a chapter. And after a chapter, you think, well, maybe I'll read another chapter. But it is, it is just like binging. And I do the same thing with binging. I think I'm only going to watch the one episode. And then I end up watching two and sometimes three, you know, yes. it's just, it's nuts. But yeah, I think that 
part of life, I really think, is uh, being excited about things, being excited about learning something new or discovering something new. I really yeah. think that that is what brings us the most joy in life. So I, I am a huge fan of the henna artist. And I think that the number one question, you know, is it is fiction, but inspired by some real life events. Tell us more about the real life. Yeah. Tell us more about how it was inspired. Like, was it a family story? So, um, you know, I think as I was growing up, I realized that my mom um, could have been something very different than a wife and a mother. Those were the only options given to her. In 1950s India, when her father took her out of college and he said, you know what, you're 18, I've got five other daughters behind you that have to get married, I need you to get married now. And he had found this bright young engineer, you know, my dad for her, and so he was really excited. And my mother was married after one time that she saw my dad, never even talked to him. But then the next time they're walking around the fire seven times. And I think my mother went through a lot of things all by herself without any support. For example, um, she had postpartum depression after every child. And uh, she had three children in succession in the first four years. So that's a lot of kids. And um, not having anybody to tell you, You're, this is going to pass, or, you know, having any medication around at that time. They didn't have anything to help women with postpartum depression. They didn't even understand what it was. They thought it was unnatural for a woman to be unhappy or depressed after she'd given birth to a child, right? So my mom didn't have any support there. Then, um, you know, I kept getting promoted or transferred all throughout the um, Indian state where he was working. And so we were always moving from, you know, city to city, like every two years. So it's not like she had time to develop close personal relationships with people before we were ready to move again. Then 10 years into the marriage, he goes, you know what? Uh, I want to go get a doctorate and I'm either going to go to Germany or I'm going to go to the United States. So get ready. So he ends up going to the United States and then she has to pack up house. She has to somehow uh, acclimate three children who have all been raised in India to learn a new language, to uh, be happy and healthy in a whole new environment. You know, it was always on her. And so I think that I saw her really tired sometimes, like exhausted, and I think uh, lost, like I don't know where to go from here. And I think I also saw this spark in her that she didn't get to realize because she never had uh, a choice on what kind of a career she wanted. She didn't have a choice in uh, whether she wanted to have children or how many she wanted to have or when she wanted to have them. Right. I think that's that's probably true of a lot of women in the 50s, a lot of women in the 20s, a lot of women all around the world. So I thought, what if I could invent a life in fiction for my mother that she gave me? Because my mother, even though she was an immigrant and she was raised in a very different kind of cultural environment where men are the leaders, men make all the decisions, she made sure that I, her only daughter, uh, was able to make all of my own decisions. She told me, I am never going to tell you who to marry or whether to have kids or what to do with your life. You get to make all those decisions. That's a remarkable thing for a woman to be able to do. And then when I was 18 and I wanted to sleep with a boy for the first time and I told her, she said, okay, great. We're going to get you birth control pills tomorrow. And we're going to um, make sure that 
you don't get pregnant before you are financially whole, before you learn to survive on your own, do not bring another child into this world. Wow. And then the third thing that she said was, um, you know, explore, explore different people, explore different places, explore different things, because you don't know at a young age what you like unless you have gone through a gamut of different things that you can choose from. So I thought that that was kind of extraordinary. And so I thought, what if I made her a fictional character who did uh, get to escape the life that she was uh, told to live? And then she does something completely different, completely unexpected. She learns to survive on her own. She learns to make her own money. She learns to bring a lot of joy and happiness to other people in her life without having the, um, the, uh, um, the necessity of doing so, without having the obligation, the familial obligation to do so. So that's kind of where the henna artist was born. And I think uh, just like my mother was so, um, uh, I think so much of a feminist, I don't know where she got that from, but she was a total feminist. And she made me a feminist. You know, she inspired me to be one. And so I firmly believe that women deserve to make all the choices in their lives that determine their destiny. And that was so important for me to convey in this book. So important for every woman in this book to be able to show that she is um, building a life of her own and having an agency, even when she is confined to this small life, she tries to grab her agency within that life. So important to me. And you did a phenomenal job conveying that. With <laughs> you being personally encouraged to do what made you happy and to try things. How did you make the decision to be a writer? Oh, you know what I think? I think it really, writing is a profession that chose me. I don't think I chose it. I always thought I would be an artist. So like these things that I was trying to show you, you know, these yeah. are, um, you know, I've just, I don't, this is kind of weird. Like, right. It's just, it's just this kind of abstract stuff abstract. that I draw. And then in my life also, I have drawn a lot of, you know, cartoony things. I love the New Yorker cartoons. I'm always trying to do something like the New Yorker cartoons. And um, I have dogs. So oftentimes my characters are dogs. Uh, and so for me, that's just, you know, a lot of fun. It brings a smile to my face. And I just thought I would be a commercial artist, maybe a graphic artist, maybe a painter. Um, that's what I think my parents also thought I might be become. But then when I went to get my first job in advertising and I wanted to be an art director, the creative directors who were interviewing me, they said, well, did you write all of these things in your portfolio? I said, yeah. And they said, well, then why don't you want to be a writer? And I said, because I want to be an art director. <laughs> I want to do something artistic. And they said, you know, it's easier for us to find art directors than it is to find good writers. You're a good writer. We could hire you as a writer now, today. And um, you start working for us. We will pay you contractor wages. And then if you decide you like us at the end of 30 days, and if we decide we like you, then you know we'll make you um, a full-time writer here. And you know what? That's exactly what they did. And I loved it. And uh, I ended up staying. And I ended up really loving uh, writing commercials and radio spots and TV campaigns and, you know, all kinds of print stuff. So um, it chose me. And then I think what I was doing for a long time is writing these tiny little stories, 30 second story here, a minute story there, 
uh, a 20 second, uh, you know, radio commercial. And so my husband saw what I was doing and he said, I think you can do long form fiction. I think you really want to be a writer. I said, no, 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 no. I'm just an advertising hack. He said, no, I think you really want to be a writer. So then when the 2008 recession came and I'd been running my ad agency for about 20 years, I didn't have anything to do because there was so much uh, work that was taken away because companies were cutting back on all of their advertising and marketing budgets. So I said, okay, maybe this is the good time for me to, um, you know, see if I want to try my hand at writing. So I entered an MFA program and um, I did a two-year intensive uh, in creative writing. And at that point, I thought, okay, I want to come out with something that's concrete. So I'm going to try to write a novel. And that was kind of how The Henna Artist came about. I was 51 years old, which meant I was a lot older than most of the people <laughs> in my program. You know, there's a lot of 20-somethings and 30-somethings in the program. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, they, they probably think I'm a grandma or something. You know, <laughs> like, like, what do I have to offer? But um, one thing I learned is that the older you are, the more experiences you've accumulated. And I think the more therapy you have gone through and learned about yourself and done a lot of homework on yourself. So actually that makes its way into your work and it makes your work that much richer. It makes your characters that much stronger when you can imbue them with a lot of the lessons that I think you've learned in your life. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you were writing The Henna Artist, did you have to put other things on the back burner so that you could focus on what you were doing? Like, tell us more about the process, you know, for those that are like, man, I'd love to write a book, but I don't have time or, you know, or I've got so many other things going on. What did that look like for you? Well, for the two years that I was in the MFA program, it was intensive writing. And, but at the same time, I'm taking classes in short fiction. So I'm writing a short story. I'm learning how to write essays. I'm also, I took a documentary film class, which was just phenomenal. Um, and it was uh, kind of eye-opening about how you see scenes in your head almost as movies uh, anytime that you're writing. So um, I learned a lot of different things while I was doing that. At the same time in my MFA program, I was going back and forth to India a lot. So I learned that writing scenes when you're actually in the setting itself is much more powerful than trying to just um, conjure it in your imagination. Mm -hmm. So um, that was really exciting to be in that vibrant atmosphere and the color and the, and the practices and the traditions of that culture to be in that atmosphere was really important. So that was two years of intensive. And then I went back to work. So I was working in the daytime. I would do a little bit of work, uh, you know, in my free hours at night. Um, sometimes I would take off three whole months, a year, two years, and I wouldn't even work on the book at all. And then, uh, you know, I would have somebody remind me, hey, whatever happened to that book? And I would try to go back to it and do some work on it. And then sometimes, um, I was uh, kind of frustrated by the whole process because when you write fiction, it's not as if somebody said, here's a contract. I want you to write this book about this henna artist in the 1950s. Nobody asked for it. Nobody said, I absolutely have to have this novel. You need to give me this novel now. And so your timeline kind of expands because it's whenever you can get to it, whenever you can write about it, whenever you can look at comments that somebody has given and try to incorporate those comments into your work. These things all come about, um, you know, as they do. So 
um, there were many times when I just thought, I'm never going to finish this. This mm -hmm. is not going to happen. And I think that one of the things I've learned over the 10 years that it took me to get it to the publication uh, process is that perseverance pays, you know? You cannot say it's over um, until you've actually seen it through to its conclusion. You really do have to see things through to their conclusion in order to understand whether this was something that was meant to be or not. You know, if you give up on things halfway through, you never find out whether you could have done it. Yeah, so, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So I think perseverance, persistence, and also pa uh, patience. You have to have patience because it's something I'm in short supply of. You can probably <laughs> tell by how quickly I talk that I try to do a lot of things in a short space of time. I'm just like always one thing after another, after another. And um, so patience was, Alka, you have to get better at this. The only way you're gonna get better at writing is to rewrite and write it over and write it over again. That's the only way you get better at things. So I had to learn patience and perseverance uh, and you know this, this thing which uh, in me, is I just had to say, slow down. You have to slow down, Alka. You have to slow down. You cannot do this at warp speed. There's just no way. <laughs> and let's talk about that slow down process because you mentioned that you're still drawing and you have like your abstract doodles. Um, is that something that you're doing to relax? Like tell us more about when you're not working, what does relaxing look like for you? Well, relaxing is also reading, uh, like, you know, the way that you also mm -hmm. use reading to relax. Um, it's really, it's fun to get lost in another world because that's where my imagination gets a chance to rest. Uh, my creative process gets a chance to rest because I'm in somebody else's creative process at that time. I also love to uh, watch these kind of ridiculous I mean, I call them ridiculous, but they're probably not ridiculous. But you know, detective shows, they're very different from anything I write. And that's why I love them. They are a whole different genre. And I watch detective shows taking place in Iceland and the UK and New Zealand and India and China. I mean, I just like to watch them from everywhere because I learn something about each culture. I, I, see, I get to see places that I wouldn't ordinarily go visit. So I get to see the visual uh, in these kinds of detective shows. And also I like the whole idea of how people write a detective show so that it keeps you guessing all the time about who done it, who done it. <laughs> so so I, I do, I, I have a feeling that that is a way to let my mind relax uh, for the time being that I watch it. Let's see, what else do I do? I walk, I love to walk. I usually walk about three, four miles a day. And oftentimes I'll take my dog or I'll walk with a friend and we'll just talk about, you know, things that are happening in our lives. Um, and uh, I uh, used to go a lot more on bike rides, but with the pandemic, not so much because I will go outside of our sort of neighborhood area. Um, and I just feel like right now it's safer to not do that. Here in the Monterey Peninsula, we get a lot of uh, visitors to the area. And so I'm just thinking maybe, you know, maybe I won't go out of my uh, comfort zone too much because there'll be a lot of tourists around and I don't know who's COVID free and who's not, right? So um, let's see, so I do that. And then um, uh, I also love to take these aerobic swimming classes. And when there was no pandemic and we could still go to the pool, oftentimes 
uh, that was something that I would do because it's a place to socialize with people as you're taking your, you know, aerobics classes. And also, you know, you get to work out and working out and moving is so good for your imagination, for your creativity. Um, I think about my character sometimes if I'm doing some kind of physical activity alone, I'm thinking about my characters. I'm thinking about them moving around or I listen to podcasts and I learn something new about the human brain or the way we think about things or something about, you know, uh, the growth of our uh, persons, you know, the growth of our personality or something. And I also really love Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is a humorous quiz show. I love that because, you know, it's funny and I get to laugh a lot along with the comedians who are on the panels. Uh, so I love that one. And then I used to listen to a lot of This American Life. And for some reason, I went off it for a while. Um, I also like the Moth Radio Hour because those are people's real stories that they're mm -hmm. telling on a live stage. And oftentimes they're very poignant. And I think people share such intimate parts of their lives um, mm -hmm. in front of an audience. And that takes that takes a lot of courage. So let's talk a little bit more about this payoff after you were so persistent <laughs> to finish the book and you had so much patience. So I actually learned about the henna artist, like I mentioned, through a book club, but our book club heard about it through Reese Witherspoon's book club. So I have just got to know, when you are selected to be a part of Reese Witherspoon's book club, I mean, is she calling you and telling you? How does that work? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think Reese has way better things to do than calling individual people. Um, so what happens is that my editor uh, calls. So my editor from the publishing house called me and said, are you sitting down? I said, okay, now I am. And she said, uh, I just need to tell you that in May, which is six weeks from the time that she told me, Reese Witherspoon is going to announce that she's picking the henna artist uh, for the month of May for her book club. And I was like, what? I was really, I was completely confounded. I had no idea that something like that would be possible for the henna artist. Like I knew that my um, publisher was planning for it to be a big book club book, but uh, with the pandemic coming, it just put the kibosh on everything. I had no uh, uh, reader-facing venues at all. Everything was canceled. Every single event was canceled uh, because the book was released March 3rd, and then people started going into lockdown shortly thereafter. And Amazon even stopped delivering books for a while. I don't know if you remember that, wow. but they said, we're only going to deliver essential supplies like toilet paper and paper towels. So that's what they were doing for a while. And bookstores started closing, libraries started closing, and I just thought, I am never, ever going to get to talk to a reader. <laughs> And then I get this call and uh, my agent, my uh, editor, Kathy, she said, okay, so Reese is going to announce your book, but before then we have six weeks in which you get to work with the Hello Sunshine people and you're going to help them develop the social media content for the month of May. So that's what we did. Wow. And her people are a delight to work with. Uh, Dominic is the manager of their social media program and he was amazing. Um, and you know, we did uh, cooking videos. Uh, they said, you know, whatever you think will help people understand the henna artist. So I wrote a piece about how saris are worn in different uh, parts of India. And over the years, I wrote a piece about my mother's wedding jewelry. I wrote something about, uh, you know, recipes that we included in the book. Um, and uh, let's see, I, you know, there, oh, I wrote a piece about henna and how henna uh, was 
first used and how many years it's been used and why it's been used. So I got a chance to kind of relive all the research that I had done for the Hannah artists and there was so much of it. I have books, pages and pages and pages of research that I did. Now, when you do research for a book, you only use certain, you know, like a smidgen of the research and you just organically work its way into the book so that it doesn't feel like, you know, you're doing a brain dump for the reader. Right. So I had all this research that I had done and I got to use it for the social media platforms. So that was great. And then um, if there hadn't been a pandemic, I would have actually been uh, down in LA with Reese. I would have hoped that that is something that could have happened. But because yeah. of the pandemic, we had a virtual chat and that was really lovely. And I had no idea that it was going to move me so much to be talking to her. But I remember very clearly that thing that she said in her acceptance speech uh, for playing June Carter Cash in Walk the Line. And in 2006, she was so young to have played somebody with such gravitas. Mm -hmm. And she sang all the songs herself. She learned how to do country music. Uh, I mean, she's so young and she did so much on that film. She totally deserved that Oscar. Um, but then also what she said in her acceptance speech was that she just always wanted to matter. And I just, when she said it really uh, struck home, you know, I thought that's all I've ever wanted. I really just want to matter. I want to do something in this world that's going to matter. And guess what, CG? I'm there. <laughs> I'm there. I cannot Beautiful. believe, I cannot believe that I'm there because I hear from thousands of women thousands of women around the world the book is getting translated into 23 languages oh because goodness. women around the world no matter what culture they're growing up in tell me this could have been my life this could have been my mother's life this could have been my grandma's life because this is a book about women this is a book about how women struggle to find agency in their lives and how many of them do succeed and how we need to help women as women we need to help each other, support each other to gain that agency. Because if we don't do it, CG, nobody will. Yeah. Men are not fighting themselves all over the place. They're not falling over themselves to help lift women up. Yeah. <laughs> this is something we have to do ourselves. And I feel like, you know, over the six decades that I've been alive, I feel like we take two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And um, I am tired of us constantly, as I've watched our political system, I'm tired of us constantly having to fight for our rights, fighting, fighting, fighting for our rights all the time. Why? Why don't we have more power? We're the ones that bring little human beings into this world. We're the ones that bring the next generation into this world. Why is it that we're always having to say, I deserve a, a, a seat at the global table. I deserve a voice. My children deserve a voice. Why are we always fighting that? <laughs> and, you know, I think it's so good that you bring that up about women lifting each other up, because I think back on, you know, we, 2020 has been quite the year. Um, and most recently, um, the election of Madam Vice President. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, I just, as I think more and more about just how important it is for women to see another woman in such a senior role, you know, in the world, you know, it's, it's one of the most senior world 
roles in the world, um, I think about how we're very also divided politically um, and how important it is for women who may not have supported her journey um, or agreed with her policies to now really, we, we should all come together, um, mm -hmm. regardless of how we feel politically, just to to lift her up and to to make sure she knows she's supported from you know just the community that she's a part of yeah um, and I you know and I don't even necessarily think it it always has to fall on the weight of her racial affiliations right. you know um, or her ethnicity I think just the fact that she's a woman uh, we should well, be excited I know and you know every time we've had a woman coming close to the ticket I always think oh maybe this time maybe this time mm -hmm. this will be the time. And I gotta tell you, I just started crying. I, I'm starting to cry now. I started crying when she went up to the podium. And I just thought, oh my God, there's gonna be all these little girls that are gonna see her and they're gonna say, I can be like that someday. You know, I could be this, I could be this powerful. That is an amazing thing for little girls everywhere to be able to see. And we do need to see people who look like us in powerful positions we have to this is the way that we model our lives you know this is where we look for role models the media is where we see them politics is where we see them and we want to be like those people we want to have a voice that people listen to yeah i couldn't agree more and i i mean i share in the sentiment i think that you know, sometimes you're just sitting and you just think about how powerful it is um, to have a woman in that seat. And also just, you know, the mention of hope, you know, and, and every time that it's been just that close and then now we're, we're here. We're here and, and we've still got work to do, but we have that slither of hope to just kind of hang on to. I think it's extremely powerful. Yeah. And you know, it's not the last time that no. we'll have to fight about, no. you know, making sure that she stays in that position, making sure that she, uh, you know, that a woman can uh, keep her voice um, strong. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to want to tear it down. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, we have to keep trying. And I think that's what hope is all about, right? Yes. Even though you see your hopes dash time and again, there's always that part of you that goes, this time, maybe this time, maybe this time it'll work. <laughs> yes. Speaking of the next time, what's going on with you? Um, can we expect to see anything in the near future? Yeah. You know, uh, first of all, I hadn't expected to ever write one novel, much less <laughs> three. So I'm actually writing a trilogy. And the second novel has just gone into production. So that is coming in July of next year. It's called The Secret Keeper of Jaipur, and it is Malik, everybody's favorite character from the henna artist. People yes. loved Lakshmi as much as they liked Malik. Yes. So Malik is going to be the star of book number two. And then after that, uh, it's going to be Radha's story, the younger sister in the first uh, henna artist. And she has grown up, you know, and yeah. she's in her 30s. And she works in Paris as a perfumer for the House of Chanel. Oh God! And, uh, yeah, and without giving too much away, the uh, the I think the person she left behind in the first book is going to come looking for her uh, in 
Yeah, in the in the third book. <laughs> so no one can see how excited I am. So I'll have to paint the picture. Y'all, I'm <laughs> clapping. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, and then and then hopefully, um, you know, knock on wood and every other piece of surface I can think of. But hopefully by then, also by the th time the third one comes out, we will be filming the Miramax TV, um, you know, TV series about the henna artist. Yes. So that will be fun. And I get to be in the writer's room for that one. So I get to, you know, help develop the scripts, help, to help develop, you know, how these characters are going to be formed over six or eight episodes. And so it's a limited, you know, series and I'm really excited about that you know if it goes well then people around the world will be seeing um, how women in 1950s India and really women all over the world uh, can uh, have a voice oh my goodness this is such exciting news I I'm like let's just close it out here don't tell us anything else leave <laughs> us leave us on the edge of our seat that is such exciting news um, Gosh, I can't wait to read, tune in, everything. Like, this is going to be great. This is going to be really great. And our, our time is nearing a close. But before I let you go, I must ask you, how do you define balance? I think balance is trying to find um, some joy in your life every day, some work that is meaningful to you in your life every day. It has to be meaningful in some way. And I think some connection with people who matter in your life. So uh, I think that a combination of those three things, if you can find that in your life every single day, I think that you, um, you can reach the end of your life and know that you lived a good life. I really think that's what it's all about. I don't think it's about happiness every moment of every day. I do think that you have to go through a certain uh, amount of discomfort, uh, grief, and loss, and sorrow in order to really grow as a person. So I think those are all part of, part and parcel of uh, a real life, uh, even a balanced life. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you think to yourself, I lived a good life. And I think that that is all we can ask uh, of ourselves. Absolutely. That's great. That's so good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing such beautiful stories. Thank you for sharing space <laughs> um, with me today and everyone who's tuned in. Just thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome, CG. Thanks for the opportunity yeah. to talk to you and your listeners. And I love seeing your face. Nobody else can see your face, <laughs> but you have a real bright light on your face, which is really amazing and wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure is all mine. Well, friends, continue to tune in for conversations like this one where we're talking all things being balanced, but gosh, so much more. I mean, we covered so many, so many different <laughs> things today. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. And thank you so much um, for being with us today. <laughs>